thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CagesidePress.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Vreeland, joined as always by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. UFC has got an absolute banger of a card this weekend. UFC 259, a trio of title fights at the top. We, of course, will be breaking down all three of those title fights, as well as giving you our favorite underdog and a parlay that we think will be particularly profitable for your wallet this upcoming weekend. In addition to that, we've also got you the interviews you've come to know and love from us. First, I'll be sitting down with Kyler Phillips as he gets ready to bring Samya Dong into the Matrix this weekend. And then I'll be talking with his teammate, Mario Batista, as he gets ready for his bout as well. And he's talking about fighting Corey Sanhagen in his debut and exactly what that fight did for his career. And we're going to get to all that great content for you in just a moment. But before we do, I need to mention that this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas is the home for the avid sports better, providing insights, analysis, and free betting picks. It's like the YouTube for sports betting, so head on over to betterthan.vegas. And from there, you can browse, search, and follow handicappers and sports personalities as they give you their thoughts on upcoming sports contests. You already read and listen to some of these very people, and now you get to hear their picks right from their mouth and in every sport imaginable, which is the awesome thing about BetterThan.Vegas. In fact, if you head on over there right now, you can see me and Shockwave Dave giving you picks each and every week. we got a couple of bonus selections that maybe you won't hear on this show over on that page. So make sure you go there, you subscribe to us, and if you feel like you got something to say, start your own account and grow your own following. But no matter what you do, make sure first that you subscribe to the Top Turtle MMA Podcast over on BetterThan.Vegas. Better Than Vegas brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. And joining me today is Kyler Phillips, who fights Song Dong at UFC 259. So, Kyler, I want to start by talking about a little bit of your training going into this fight because, you know, nosing around on your Instagram, I see you working with Bryce Meredith, who, for MMA fans who don't know, Big 12 wrestling champ, three-time All-American. I'm curious as to whether or not you've prioritized wrestling going into this training camp because it seems like, you know, that's, that's kind of a choice training partner to have if that's the case. Uh no, he's just one uh just one of the tools that we have and but it's I mean it's not really a tool. The guy's really cool and uh you know, I've developed a good relationship so being able to tie in different styles, you know, my MMA style with his and different partners as well and his chain wrestling is off the chain literally. Um so it's fits right into my style of of reactions and being a step ahead and you know, just, just being on people, you know, the whole time. And it's been an honor to work with him. And, and is that sort of a uh, something that you expect out of Sonya Dong, that he is going to be coming forward and trying to do stuff similar to that? Or is this something that you're looking at more from an offensive standpoint? You expect to be the person uh, trying to chain wrestle and take people down. Oh, yeah. It's not just uh, taking people down. For me, it's beating the shit out of people, you know, hitting them <laughs> in the head, knee, elbow, pushing them, shoving them, kicking them, hitting all 
vital parts of the body, you know, and uh, changing it up and being on that, you know, being on the fly, being able to adjust on the fly. I, I do best at that. And I feel like um, I have so many different areas to offer. So that style of wrestling is definitely, you know, a um, just an addition to the game. But it's something we already have. And like, yeah, this guy is going to come forward and maybe he's working and stuff at Team Alpha Male. But uh, at the end of the day, we're focused on ourselves and winning and, and prioritizing us implementing hours on the offense even our defense is our offense you know so we'll be on his ass uh, so I, i'm actually interested in that too because i talked to one of your training partners earlier mario batista and and he said a similar thing about how he's he and his teammates have been focused on you know working on themselves is is that something that seems to get highlighted in in your training circle working with guys like you know casey kenny and sean o'malley is it more of the mentality from all of you guys, or is that just happen to be true of the two people I just recently talked to? Um, I think it goes for everybody, man. Uh, you definitely don't want to focus too much on your opponent's style. You want to know what they do and find out their habits so that you can capitalize and you can play yours. But if you focus too much on their game, uh, you might be playing their game, you know, wherever you put the, the focus, the power flows, you know? So, um, yeah, man, I think these, these guys, everybody at the gym is like, of course I'm putting an emphasis on what the guy's strengths are, but it, you can't let it immobilize you from playing yourself, you know? I like that a lot. Now I, I'm curious too. Let, let's talk a little bit less about the game plan and less about the training and a little bit more about the situation, because here you are, in your third UFC fight, you are 2-0 with two very impressive wins, but instantly you're given a guy who's been in the UFC's top 15 for, for quite a bit of time. He, he's undefeated in six fights in the UFC. He's fought in some really tough guys like Cody Stamen. He just beat Marlon uh, Vera. You get this name. You know, they call you and say, hey, we want you to fight a guy in the top 15 in just your third UFC fight. What was your reaction to that? Uh, that was, it was the best thing when I heard it. I was like, heck yeah, let's take the fight. You know, uh, this is the fight business. It's, it's just martial arts and this is like the warrior code. You never fear any man. Like you got to go out there ready to fight anybody, you know? And like what, what separates you from them? Skill set and what same weight class? Like, dude, this is just a platform. It's just another guy standing in the way for me trying to get towards my goal and pass that. So I'm going to, you know, take this seriously and give it some respect and, and go right through it. Well, I like that a lot, too. Now, I'm curious, too, is if you have a feeling on why the UFC might have been pushing you so fast. Because, like I said, you do have two impressive wins in there. But at the same time, you've got guys in your weight class who've been begging for a ranked fight for the last, you know, three or four fights in a row. Do, do you have a feeling for why the UFC felt like you are ready for this already? You, you've marketed yourself well enough? Uh, You know, they have their things, but I don't... And I have my thoughts, but you don't know concrete detail of everything. And so, like, I'm just honored to be able to get this shot. And, you know, it's uh, it doesn't matter who they put in front of me. We're going to take them out. Absolutely. And, and now we're, we're talking. So I, I enjoy it, and I enjoy the opportunity, you know what I mean? So, like, anything they give me is it's, it's an honor to do what I do in the octagon. And not only that, it's like 
skill set I have, but the hunger I have and the passion and the, the virtues and things that I bring to the table is a lot more than these people. And I just, it's just the truth. And like, I can't wait to just shine, you know? Absolutely. And, and now you seem like you're, you're talking to about loving the idea of just expressing your martial arts, being able to show what you do. But also there, there is obviously that goal in mind, right? Like you want to reach the top of the division. You want to be the champion. How do you balance the two of those feelings where you do want to just, you know, fight whoever it is in front of you? And also you want to try to reach the top of the division and, and finally get that gold and get that paycheck. Do, do you feel like there's a rush to the top or do you feel like you're kind of taking your time and what comes comes? Well, you definitely got to exercise the, you know, the patience, but you got to pull the triggers as well. You can't just sit there and wait. And you also can't just go too fast without assessing and, you know, game planning what you're going to do. But sometimes it just takes that, those steps. You just got to walk forward and then other times take a step back, take a breather and look at uh, the whole systematic plan that you have. And uh, it's like, you got to have a good balance as well. Have fun, you know, take your time and stuff like that and go, just go all the way, follow your heart. But at the same time, you know, use your brain and, take the time to assess everything and really, you know, make it real in your head and, and game plan because, you know, without that plan, it's kind of like you're kind of just moving all over the place, fight whoever, but putting exact goals to mind and then meeting those and then also having that passion that fuels it is uh, just the beginning, you know? Absolutely. And, and I'm interested, too, because obviously you're talking about steps forward, steps backwards. Since you've been in the UFC, it seems like everything has been forward, right? And obviously you see yourself in a ranked contest here in just your third fight. But for people who might not remember, you were on the Ultimate Fighter. Things didn't go your way there. That that, that it certainly is a step back in your career. What, what sort of was your mentality coming out of there, too? How did you rebound in such a way that that didn't set you back too far? Yeah, that's a, everything is a lesson, you know what I mean? Like every single day you have the opportunity to basically your attitudes, nobody can change your attitudes unless you give it away, you know? So like whatever happens, you need to keep a good attitude and, and train your brain to uh, think certain ways so you can feel certain ways and start acting in different ways. And like, um, it's just a constant thing of this is who I am. And like, this thing is, is super fun. So there's nothing else I'd rather be doing. And out of curiosity, you know, you, you've been fighting for a really long time, right? Like you, you've been fighting since 2015 and, and at your age, I, I mean like that, that is a really long time, right? You've been fighting since you were 19 or 20 years old. Have you always had that? Mentality? As a professional, as a professional. Yeah, so, I've been fighting my whole life. Yeah, so so as a you know as an MMA fighter, as a professional, you've been fighting since you were 19, and you've been fighting even longer than that. Has your mentality always been that? Always been, you know, like that that you know, clear mind and sort of dealing with things as they come and just accepting them. No, you gotta. I mean, for sure, like people change and your attitudes change, and through different seasons, you kind of like learn things and you get more mature. And now I'm 25, and I'm starting to be more cerebral with the game, but I still have that, that, you know, uh, youthful exuberance inside that's like making me, uh, have fun, you know? So like putting those two things together, focus and fun, having fun is like, 
it's it's an enjoyment that you get and uh, I just can't wait till next weekend. Yeah, well, it certainly seems like the time is absolutely perfect when you combine those two things. So before I let you go, I do need a, a like to get a prediction rather out of people. How do you see this fight going with Song Yudong when you do square off on March 6th uh, at UFC 259? He's going to step in the Matrix world and I'm going to unplug him from the system. That's it. Take the red pill. And, uh, you know, he's he's renting out that octagon with me. I'm the I own the thing. So. Once he can't pay anymore, he's going to have to, to get evicted. So we're going to unplug him. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Kyler Phillips fights Song Yadong at UFC 259. Kyler, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. All right, man. Have a good one, bro. Appreciate you. In that interview with Kyler Phillips is brought to you by Jack Market. Jack Market is the daily fantasy sports app that works just like a stock market. Because, listen, we've all had... One of our guys put up an absolute dud of a first half, and you wish you could sell them off and start fresh. And now you can with Jock Market because they are allowing you to buy and sell players as stock commodities while the games are going on. You bid on the IPOs out the gate, and then they issue the shares to the highest bidders. And from there, you can buy and sell with other users as your players do better or do worse. You know, sell when it's high, buy when it's low. You get to work them just like the stock market. And at the end of the night, they pay out based on their final performance and the number of shares you still have. And of course, Jack Market is live right now for the NBA and the PGA. So head on over to the App Store or Google Play Store and download Jock Market right now. Be sure you use promo code TURTLE10 for a free $10 on your first deposit. Now, I, of course, once again, am Daniel Gumby Vreeland, and I am joined now by Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, the main event last week was kind of forgettable, so let's kick it off here instead. Kamzat Chimiev seems to be retiring during the COVID complications. What is your reaction to that? Well, Gumby, this is an odd situation, but what hasn't been odd the past year in these COVID times? Chimiev came out like a, a rocket out of hell, like a meteor falling from the sky or going up to the sky. I don't know what analogy I want to use, but this guy is burning bright and fast, and now he runs in to this health problem, and, you know, first and foremost, let's hope he's okay. I, I didn't really get the warm fuzzies from Dana White's reaction. I get he's a promoter and obviously just cares about his meal ticket here. Um, but, you know, I also do kind of get the vibe that maybe Chimiev is emotional, uh, recovery not going well. Who's to say he can't get better, and let's obviously hope he does because he's an amazing talent and by all looks of it a really good guy. And, you know, maybe in six months, things are different, and he's not retired. No one has ever really retired in MMA. I think the important thing here is he just needs to get healthy, and then they can decide the long-term fate of his career in, you know, six to eight months, maybe. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And what I will say, too, is I feel like when I first read the announcement, and granted, you know, the Chechenian dictator slash Dana White reactions notwithstanding, my first reaction to that retirement was, you know, the UFC flew him to Vegas, it seems a lot like he expected, like, oh, I'm going to come to America and they're going to fix me up nice. And it's hard. It's probably not easy work, right? Like, he's dealing with really complicated problems with his lungs coming from a disease we didn't even know existed a year and a half ago. So, like, he, he obviously thought that they were just going to fix him up and he was going to be 110%. He's getting the old corporation treatment. When that didn't happen, when he is still struggling and he is still in a bad place... I can see getting really emotional about that. So I'm not ready to write the book on him yet, but like, of course I hope he gets healthy and I hope he, 
you know, I hope it's ultimately his decision, not, you know, somebody else's decision, be it a promoter, be it a governmental figure. Um, ultimately, I hope he makes that decision. But uh, you're right. I, I think time is going to answer all of these questions. But speaking of time, but speaking of time, I'm giving you no time to prepare for this next piece because I learned about it five minutes before coming to air and I decided to bull rush you with it. There are two names who have reportedly been released from the UFC and removed from the rankings on their website. That's right, ranked fighters. Do you care to take a stab at, uh, let's just say, let's see if you can get one of them. Uh, don't say Phil Brooks. Don't say Phil Brooks. No, just kidding. Uh, so I, I take it, and again, you know, no warning here. You wouldn't be bringing this up if they weren't big names. Uh Heavyweight always has some older guys, maybe light heavyweight. No, light heavyweight, actually, the division other than Glover is pretty young. Can you give me just some form of a clue, like a under 200 or over 200 pounds at least? You, your your initial instincts uh, when you first started bringing up divisions was very correct. Okay, then I'm just going to take two wild stabs in the dark because I'm thinking of older heavyweight fighters. I'm going to say former champ JDS and former former champ in his first stint, Arlovsky. Very close. You got JDS correct, but the second name is Alistar Overeem has been released by the UFC. Uh, that is so perfect because he comes with a very high uh, to show money and he has not been putting up a lot of wins recently. It all makes sense. Yeah, and, and I would say this, he did have a nice little run in there, but I will say also this, like, when the UFC took Leon Edwards out of the rankings and kind of dangled in front of him that he has to take less money or a, an unfavorable fight to to not be released, you know, like, he, he knows that, Leon Edwards knows the UFC is going to give him the best money anywhere around, Overeem could go fight in Bellator, Overeem could go fight in Ryzen, Overeem could go fight in 1FC, and he could make more money than the UFC wants to pay him right now. So uh, you're right. The the bargaining chip is just not there for him. It's not surprising. Uh, but at the same time, you know, like two guys who were ranked. I mean, I think JDS had fallen since he had lost a few in a row. But two guys who were like top 10 guys, you know, cha a, a champion and a title challenger. Kind of still crazy and definitely advancing this like rejuvenation of the, the heavyweight division that we've been talking about for a few weeks. Yeah, you know, this goes to a couple of threads that I think you and I have been going at for the last few years and maybe one more recently. You know, we've been through a lot of UFC releases of names, and I think a lot of hardcore fans always think like, oh, this will be the move. This this will be the one that finally gets Bellator over the hump or it's going to break the UFC. Nothing ever breaks the UFC. If Rory McDonald can leave, when he is arguably the one or two, not champion, because he had just lost to Robbie Lawler and then came back with a second loss in a row to Wonderboy Thompson, which I think was more of a stylistic kind of problem. Uh, you know, if he can go and it doesn't really make a lick of difference, and he's not even in Bellator anymore, he's now in the PFL, which is hilarious, it, you know, it, it's never really going to make that dent that I think a lot of hardcore fans think it will. I think just to go off on a side tangent, what's really going to push Bellator over the hump is not an overream. It fills a card. They're going on Showtime. It is a nice name for them, so I don't want to discredit that. But what's going to get them over the hump and into that mainstream kind of stream of consciousness, it's going to be someone like an MVP or someone like an Izzy Adesanya who talks shit, has a great social media game, 
and just puts together some highlight reel KOs. They're not going to end up on SportsCenter because they're in bed with the UFC. But if it makes the rounds on Instagram, you know, that's how you get into the mainstream at this point. And I'll tell you right now, Overeem and JDS, getting knocked out in, you know, five minutes because they're both prone to do that at this point in their careers. That's not really going to do much for Bellator. And the other thread I want to just pick up on or at least reiterate is we talked about it last week. You know, I don't think this is a bad thing. Derek Lewis is someone who's now moved to that sort of upper echelon, almost near legendary status in the heavyweight division. He can headline a card. He doesn't have to be the champion. He could be a special attraction, to borrow a phrase from pro wrestling. So really not a huge loss, in my opinion, with either guy. What Do you think it's a big loss? I mean, I think it's a big loss in that they're like, you know, they're they're still top 15, top 10 guys. You know, they're, they're still, you know, it's a big loss because they're names that uh, casual fans know and people like Tom Aspinall and Chris Dawkins would build their names off of them if they were able to beat them. They're great gatekeepers, and I don't mean that derogatorily, but they're great people to determine whether or not these guys go to the top of the division or not. You know, look at the guys that Overeem turned away, and then look at the ones that Overeem couldn't turn away. You know, and you could say the same thing about JDS. Look who JDS was able to turn away, and then look who he couldn't. And, and like, now we know Yair Rosenstreich and Surreal Gain are, are top-tier heavyweights. Now we know that, that Alexander Volkov is for real because he beat Overeem. So I think it sucks not having those kind of like barrier guys, you know, like not the barrier guys to the top 15, kind of like Arlovsky is, but like barrier guys to to the elite echelon. And, and so it's a loss in that respect. But like you said, this is a this is a money game. This is something where, you know, they're not going to they're not going to give the UFC the return that they get anymore. And it's sad that that's how the UFC makes a decision. But, you know, like this is not the NFL, the, the best, you know, 150 guys in the division don't all reside in one promotion. They they come from a mixture of promotions, and for this reason, is is because you'll pay one more in one place and and more one in another. So um, a loss, but but ultimately one they'll recover with for with no problem. Yeah, and this is the last thing I'll say on it. You bring up great points, and I think you're completely right. We do lose that sort of like nice gatekeeper, someone who could headline against the Tom Aspinall. If Tom Aspinall wins. It makes him more legit. It kind of gives him the rub, as we say, uh, just from, like, more of the casual fans because they beat someone, they know the name, that's headline pay-per-views, yada, yada, yada. But you know where I just don't – I can't lose sleep over it is I think about it from this perspective. If Tom Aspinall becomes champion in 2022, one year from today, I'm not going to say, oh, man, I, I wish he could face Overeem who currently resides in Bellator now, that I'm, I feel like I'm missing out on a matchup. To me, where I get really angry when good fighters are in different promotions is more on, like, the young up-and-comers. Like, if Aaron Pico had turned into everything we thought Aaron Pico could be, that would have annoyed me that he's not in the UFC matched up against, like, you know, the UFC's top ten guys. But for me, the sun has set on Overeem as a champion, so... You know, I wish him the best of luck. Hey, I'll tell you where the sun hasn't set, though. It's on our favorite segment, Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, and we got a banger of a show this week to break down. Gumby, before we get into Fights, Dogs, and Parlays for this week, one may wonder if any company is sponsoring it. 
Absolutely. Fight Stocks and Parlays is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. You can log all of your training sessions, whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or over 30 different martial arts. And the cool thing is not only can you log your training sessions, but you can leave yourself notes, tag friends, log competitions and weigh-ins, and so much more. Download the Maroon Social app wherever it is you download apps. All right. Well, we have three title fights this weekend, knock on wood. Hopefully nothing happens. We'll start with the what I believe is the main event, and that's the 205-pound title. It's a super fight, so to speak. Izzy is coming up as the 185 champion to come to 205. I think we've talked ad nauseum about how we don't really like this move. There are still more middleweight contenders. While we get there were not money middleweight contenders, and that's why this is happening. We know it can always lead to a jammed up, not one division, but two divisions if he wins. It's also worth noting that the rightful title challenger in Glover Teixeira, who should have had this title shot had it not been for super fights and money and blah, 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 he got ready for this fight and could drop in at a moment's notice if uh, Izzy or Jan uh, break out with a case of the COVID. But that being said, we'll assume the fight is on. Israel Adesanya, the challenger, a minus 250 dog coming off a wonderful performance and weird dry hump over Paula Costa, although some may say Costa was still drunk from wine the night before, but you'd have to be an idiot to believe that. He'll be taking on the champion, Jan Blankovic, a plus 210 uh, dog. He just beat, uh, oh, my God, why am I, Dominic Reyes, uh, for the title. Thank you and has put together a nice little four-fight win streak since losing to Tiago Santos, somewhat out of nowhere, uh, somewhat a little random, too. Like, one of the four wins was against Luke Rockhold, who came up at 205, maybe a bit of a preview for Adesanya coming up to 205. He is certainly, while not going to, like, tower over Adesanya, because he's not the biggest 205-er, he's lean, but he will have a size advantage this weekend, Idasanya, certainly the speed advantage. We assume Jan, the power advantage. Who you got here? So first of all, I will say he does have a size advantage in terms of pure size because there's rumors going around that Israel Idasanya will weigh as light as 195 for this fight um, because he didn't bulk up and he's yeah, I think he's cutting weight a little bit anyway, even though he doesn't have to. Weird situation. Could be all rumors. He could come in on the scales right at 205. But that being said, he is actually much taller and has a way better reach, I believe, than Jan Blankovic going into this fight. And I'm taking Israel Adesanya, and I even don't mind the negative 250 price tag here. Because if you look at Jan Blankovic's fights, uh, I mean, you can go back to the one against Santos. You can use the one against Dominic Reyes. You can use the one, uh, I, I mean, like you can use the one against Rockhold. He kind of throws winging hooks. And he kind of does this weird blitz. Uh, and, and I don't really know what to think too much of that blitz in terms of how effective it will be long-term against guys like Glover Teixeira, who could hit a reactive takedown or, you know, maybe some other good counter-strikers up at 205. But I know for a fact it will look terrible against somebody like Israel Adesanya, who is a phenomenal striker. He's a great counter-striker. And his footwork is you know, maybe unparalleled in the UFC and in MMA in general. So I just think in general, this is a nightmare matchup for, for Jan Blankovic. I think the UFC knew it was a nightmare matchup for Jan Blankovic. And they're clearly trying to cash their golden goose here in, in Israel Adesanya. And I think they're going to get it too, because I think th this has got Israel Adesanya knockout written all over it. 
Yeah, I certainly like Idesanya more as a striker. I do wonder, you know, you think about how many times Gastelum was able to tag Idesanya. Now imagine if Jan is able to connect. And I know we're probably always going to go back to that Gastelum fight as a marker for what could happen to Idesanya because he's been so dominant in other performances. I do agree with you, though. I don't know that size necessarily plays as much of a factor in this as we think. But I will say that Jan, you can't doubt the man. He's on a bit of a fluky four-fight win streak. He's probably a little worse than the four-fight win streak. And I could also make a case that he's a little better than this four-fight win streak, given the strength of competition, which has not been great. You know, Jan as a champion, it's so weird because Jones obviously held down that division for so long. And it's just weird is the best word I could come up with that he didn't beat Jones for the title. As many people have said before, when you're a champion at 205, you either are a champion because because Jones, you know, popped hot, committed a crime, or in this case, decided he just wanted to go to heavyweight. So in that regard, he feels sort of like a weak champion, but that shouldn't take away from the fact that he does have dynamite in his hands, and you just never know when it comes to striking engagement that punch could land, and we certainly saw a lot of them land uh, in the case of Gastelum getting in on the inside of Idesanya. But, yeah, I'll go with Idesanya, too. Let's move then to probably an easier fight to predict by leaps and bounds. Amanda Nunes is a minus 11.65 favorite. She's the <laughs> GOAT uh, women's fighter of all time, and I don't say that like Joe Rogan says after every winning performance. She actually is the GOAT in this case. She'll be taking on Megan Anderson, plus 750 dog. This is at 145, the weirdest division in UFC history. There are like three fighters in the division officially. Megan Anderson certainly is a 145-er. She's a big girl. She's on a two-fight win streak, uh, one win via KO, another via submission, which is nice. So she is well-rounded. She's had an up-and-down career in the UFC. She's had some odd performances. Uh, but, you know, riding the two-fight win streak here to the title we know you're picking Amanda Nunes. I'd like to hear a pass to victory for Megan Anderson if there is one. So I think Megan Anderson, what she has to do is to to draw out some of those shots of Amanda Nunes. You know, like think back to Amanda Nunes knocking out Cyborg, and, and certainly that's not what you want to think of when you want to think of hope for Megan Anderson. But when she had Cyborg hurt, or or at least perceived to have Cyborg hurt, she sort of emptied the tank. She threw some big looping hooks and she was definitely throwing her whole ass into some of those shots. And I think that it, while it, you know, she's probably not going to open up like that unless she feels like she has Megan Anderson hurt. Anderson being able to goad her into doing that might be the best thing for Anderson because I really think her best shot here is to probably hit a counter that, that drops Amanda Nunez and she's able to finish her. Um, or being able to tire out Amanda Nunes, which is so hard to do. You know, like Amanda Nunes has got a great gas tank too. Like it, it, that can't be understated about how good she is in all facets of the fight. But I, I think probably trying to get her swinging a little wild and make a mistake or, or be able to capitalize on just the smallest opening is probably the path to victory here for Megan Anderson. She's not going to out-wrestle Amanda Nunes. She's not going to out-submission grapple Amanda Nunes. She's certainly not going to, I don't think, outpoint Amanda Nunez. I just think, you know, like, I'm never betting on anybody at a negative 11.65. And let me tell you something. Looking at other books, I've seen this as big as negative 1,400. I'm never putting money or anybody in a parlay anywhere near that number. 
But, like, come on. You, you got to pick Amanda Nunes here, and I think she probably gets a KO. I, I'm going to say I'm gonna say she gets a TKO ground and pound here. Wow. Okay. I like it. I mean, not, like, the craziest pick I ever heard, but I just like that, you know, you don't feel that this goes five-round decision. I mean, you, you think fireworks, and Megan Anderson is on the receipt of some – some pain to the face. Yeah, well, I, I think, too, here's the thing that people underestimate about Amanda Nunez is, is she does not fight ju- just to prove she's the greatest. You know, like she doesn't go out there and she's like, oh, I'm fighting a striker. I'm going to show them that my striking's better. She says, oh, I'm fighting a striker. I can tailor a game plan to this so that they never get the opportunity to do what they do the best. You know, and she's so good at doing that. You know, like I, I made a comparison uh, a little while back her game planning reminds me a lot of Alexander Volkanovsky's too. They can just sort of be a chameleon and become the type of fighter that their opponent hates. Um, and I think Megan Anderson, the worst possible thing for her to be here would be for Amanda Nudis to shoot a takedown and, and advance to mount and just beat the hell out of her there. And, and I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility for a Nunes to do exactly that. All right, we'll move then to the third and final title fight, and this one is a banger. It's a pick 'em. You can get either guy at minus well, 110. Uh, Vegas doesn't really know who's going to win. I've gone back and forth on this myself in my head. You've Peter Yan, the champion at 135, taking on friend of the show and one of our favorites, Aljamain Sterling. Aljamain on a five-fight win streak really feel like he's put his MMA career together. It's evolving at just the right time. Uh, you know, he has a funky striking style that can be tough to deal with for people. He was a wrestler in college. He has good grappling. We've seen submissions. He just recently beat Corey Sandhagen via submission. Look at how good Corey Sandhagen looked in his last fight with that brutal knee. Uh, and then Peter Yan, kind of one of those, we go back to this a lot of times, when the UFC clogs up a division or, you know, makes an interim title shot based more on money than anything else. To me, Aljo deserves this title shot. Peter Yan, not to take anything away from him, but he beat Jose Aldo at 135, mind you. Yes, Jose Aldo, after one win at 135, Jose Aldo got a title shot. This is all post-Henry Cejudo retiring. Those are the two people they picked. And just as a hardcore MMA fan, it felt a little underwhelming that it was Jose Aldo in that shot. It should have been Aljamain Sterling. It could have been Corey Sandhagen at the time. Uh, But bottom line, he is the champion. We cannot underestimate him. Uh, he has put together some really nice wins in the UFC, and his striking is not to be trifled with. Uh, KO over Uriah Faber, uh, decision win over Jimmy Rivera, decision win over John Dodson, TKO over Douglas uh, Silva de Andrade. The man has done nothing but win in the UFC. Who you got? I'm going with Aljamain Sterling, and I'm actually going with him for a couple of reasons. You know, you mentioned the name Jimmy Rivera in there. Both guys have wins over Jimmy Rivera. If you look at what Aljamain Sterling did on a striking level to Jimmy Rivera, it looks way better than what Peter Yan did. You know, like he landed 201 strikes on Jimmy Rivera, or 101 strikes, sorry, 101 strikes on Jimmy Rivera, which is almost twice of what Peter Yan landed on Jimmy Rivera in that same amount of time. In addition to that, Jimmy Rivera only landed 24 punches on on Aljamain Sterling. And I think that just goes to show the evolution of, of Aljo's game is that Aljo has been kind of noted as this great wrestler and this fun submission artist. 
he's really started to put together the striking aspects of it too. I mean, he just outstruck Pedro Munoz, who looked how how freaking good did Pedro Munoz just look? And and maybe I just don't feel as comfortable with Peter Jan because that win against Jimmy Rivera is the best win he has in his career. Like, you can say what you want about beating, you know, Jose Aldo and beating the snot out of him. You can say what you want about beating Uriah Faber or, or John Dodson. But, like, his best win in the UFC is Jimmy Rivera, and he's a champ. So, I mean, like, I don't know what to say about a guy in that I'm just not comfortable in his resume. I, I've never seen him fight somebody who I thought put him in danger of being on his back. You know, like, you go back to the John Dodson fight. John Dodson took him down twice. And, and like, you know, you think about John Dodson's sub-skills, I don't put John Dodson in the same boat as, as Aljamain Sterling as far as sub-skills. I mean, Jin Su Sun took him down. Like, you got to be a little worried about what Peter Yan is going to look like against a guy that high a caliber because he's never fought somebody as good as Aljamain Sterling. I, I am right there with you, buddy. We are going to match up on this. I'm picking Aljo because I think he's the more well-rounded fighter. And I think if this goes to the ground, we could be seeing a sub sandwich, and I love it. Let's get to our dog of the week. It's Jake Matthews, a plus 175 against Sean Brady. Break her down. So first of all, I have to say I love Sean Brady. I think he is probably one of the best prospects that welterweight has right now. I just also happen to think Jake Matthews is a terrible matchup for him because Sean Brady is the type of guy who uses a lot of physicality. He's a big, strong guy in he's in all of his bouts in the UFC, he's just kind of bullied the guys he was fighting. And I, I don't know that that's a, an avenue you want to take against a guy like Jake Matthews, who seems to be getting better and stronger every single time out to the point where he had to move up a division. And now he looks too big for that division too. And, and I hear lots of people being like, well, Sean Brady, you know, he's going to make bigger jumps and bigger leaps because he's younger. Jake Matthews is actually two years younger than this hyper prospect. He's just been in the UFC for seemingly 150 years. So the the fact of the matter is Jake Matthews continues to mature physically and, and he's got way more experience and it just seems like the style matchup is bad. So when all is said and done, you know, this fight might be a little bit closer to a coin flip. And when you can get almost two to one odds on a, a fight you think is a coin flip, you got to go with the plus 175 here at Jake Matthews. Our parlay to play is Alexander Rakic, a minus 160, and Kaikara France, a minus 135. Rub your hands together, peanut butter and jelly. Put them together, it becomes plus 200. Yeah, and I love Alexander Rakic in this fight because he's fighting Tiago Santos, who we've just seen get absolutely dominated by Glover Teixeira on the ground. And, and even he didn't look super great striking with Glover Teixeira, which is even a bigger concern because while I love Glover Teixeira, He's been known to get outboxed once in a while. See Gustafson, Alex. Um, and Rajic here, for me, is a better kickboxer than Glover. And he's shown that he's able to mix in the wrestling game quite well. So even if Tiago Santos seems to be getting the best with him on the feet, I think Rajic has more places he can take this. And ultimately, I think at a negative 160 price tag, that's a great play. So we're going to combine that in with Kaikara France, who's a flyweight I've loved for a really long time. He's got dynamite in his hands. You know, there's a reason he has the nickname Don't Blink. He's going to be fighting a guy who's got decent jujitsu, but I'm a little bit worried about his wrestling. And really the only people who have done well against Kaikara France are people who can slap quick submissions on him. And 
I don't necessarily think that Bontrean isn't that guy, but I do think Bontrean is the kind of guy who's never going to get to the place where he can snap that submission on Kaikara France. So I like those two paired together. And like, like I said, plus 200, that's a damn good number for two people you're pretty confident in. Well, that was a damn good fight, dogs and parlays. Follow us on Twitter at Top Turtle on the May. We'll be breaking down the fights as they're happening. You can, of course, let us know if we did you right or did you dirty with some of this advice. Gumby, who are we talking to next? All right, we're going to transition now to my interview with Mario Batista. Mario's going to talk a little bit about his fight with Corey Sanhagen that he kicked off his UFC career with, as well as the growth he's gone through since then. And we're going to get to that interview for you right now. All right, and joining me today is Mario Batista, who fights Trevin Jones at UFC 259. So, Mario, I want to talk about your progression through the UFC. And it all starts with... Your debut, we go back to January 19th, 2019, which is only two years ago. You took a fight on 10 days notice against Corey Sandhagen on the biggest scene of it all on ESPN in Brooklyn. Looking back at that fight, which winds up it being the only loss of your career up to this point, how do you look back at that? Do you Are you happy you took it? Obviously, it got you into the UFC. Are you upset that you didn't have a full training camp for one of the toughest bantamweights in the world? What, what are your thoughts on that fight? Um, you know, I'm glad I took it, you know, it, you know, I got my foot in the door, you know, you don't say no to the UFC when they call you, uh, because they might not ever call back, but, uh, you know, I felt good after that fight, you know, even though I lost, um, it, uh, really changed my mindset on, on fighting and I've had two great performances after that. And then just watching Sanhagen just, you know, tear through the division, uh, just kind of builds my confidence as well. You know, I, I got hit with a knee, uh, but I didn't go out, uh, and you know he's been taking people out. So uh, it's um, it's been a confidence booster, that's for sure. Well, and I, I want to talk to you about that those two fights after as well. But before we do that, you you mentioned it changed your mindset around fighting. What what exactly changed specifically with your mindset? Is it just a confidence booster, or is there something else that you feel like changed the way you see fighting? Uh, yeah, just the way he his energy in the cage. I mean. He was put in bad spots, but he was – to, to me, it seemed like he didn't care. You know, he just kept on going through. He was comfortable everywhere. He was attacking nonstop. And, you know, I kind of brought that into my own game a little bit there. So uh, that, that's what I took from that fight. And, and do you feel like that directly led to – I mean, you got back-to-back finishes – or back-to-back bonuses right now, back-to-back wins – do you feel like that is what led to, you know, like such exciting performances as well? I, I think so. You know, I, I had one loss as an amateur as well, kind of early on. And after that, you know, I went on a, you know, on a pretty good uh, win streak. And I changed a lot in my training as well. After my amateur loss, I started training more like as a professional. And, you know, and I had another loss against Sanhagen and I felt like I changed my my mindset and my training after that as well. And it's, uh, you know, kind of showed in my performances. For sure. And, and, you know, you spoke to the mindset already a little bit, but do you mind sharing a little bit about what, what in training changed a lot for you after the Sanhagen fight? Well, after the Sanhagen fight, obviously I was, you know, you make a little bit better money in the UFC. So I was able to quit, uh, my job. I was working part-time, uh, for an auto glass company and then after that, just quit my job and started training full time. Uh, 
working on everything, all aspects of martial arts, and uh, especially strength conditioning. That was a big thing for me, um, and I feel like that's just been helping me out, uh, you know, these past couple of years. For sure, and and you mentioned you know being able to quit your job, which is now only two years ago. So so we're gonna keep seeing growth in you. But also, let's talk about the fact that, you know, you relied on that second job for so long. Now you got back-to-back bonuses in the UFC. That's 100K <laughs> right there, which is incredible. Is How has that been life-changing for you? What what has changed because of that? Uh, really not much, you know. I'm, I'm pretty uh, frugal with, with my money. I, you know, I have a kid, so I, if I was single, maybe I, I'd be uh, broke by now. But, you know, I've, I've made some pretty smart decisions, you know. Um, we put money into the house, uh, fixed up our backyard, uh, you know, brought the value up of our house. Um, you know, going to the gas station, you don't have to look at the, you don't have to look at the gas pump. You just put it in <laughs> your card, you know, little things like that. And that's, uh, for me, that, that's a big thing, you know, groceries, you really don't have to look at your money, just get whatever you want. And so, uh, and then also through COVID, uh, this past year it's uh those bonuses really helped me out financially to feel comfortable uh during this whole pandemic well that that's certainly great to hear now i'm curious on your mentality on bonuses too because i talked to some fighters and they tell me that they're chasing bonuses they're bonus chasers they're looking for that big <laughs> knockout or they want to have the most exciting fight i talked to a guy the other day who told me they hope they bleed because it's easier to get a good paycheck when you bleed are you of that mentality, or is it just that your style since that Sanhagen fight has kind of lended itself to, you know, getting those big checks? Oh yeah, I'm. I'm never looking for the bonuses. You know, I'm. I always prepare for a for a 15 minute war. I feel like if you look for them, same with like a knockout punch. You know, you might not ever get it. So, uh, you know, I think just uh, my style, um, and you know, the right opponents. Uh, has definitely helped out in, in getting those bonuses. But yeah, uh, I never look for those. I, it's uh, and once you get them, you feel it feels a lot better when you don't expect them. Absolutely. And now you said the opponents kind of lead into it. So obviously we got to talk about your upcoming opponent because he had a pretty exciting debut, and that's Trevin Jones. In that fight, he he gets stung right off the bat. Super durable guy comes back and wins. Kind of an exciting one. Have you looked back at that fight? What were your thoughts on on sort of him as an opponent, especially being you, you know you're a guy in a two fight win streak and you're taking a semi unheralded opponent here? Yeah, I mean I, I looked at that fight and I don't he had a good performance, but I don't think that's an accurate like representation of of how good he really is. You know, I he took it on short notice. You know, he performed, but I think he was a lot better. I looked at some of his other fights and uh, you know he he's really dangerous he's pretty good uh i think like a former champion outside the ufc and so um i'm expecting a, a prime trevin jones you know absolutely and you mentioned he took it on a short short notice and obviously that plays into it and you know we were talking before about your short notice fight against Corey sandhagen and, and how you know you're not really prepared when you're you're on short notice. you're taking this fight on sh- short notice right like we're less than a month away from you finding out that this fight was happening you jump right in there did that did hit in the back of your mind at all that this is another time where you're taking a short notice fight um no not really because uh so i have two teammates fighting on the same card casey and kyler phillips 
and uh when they started to camp that's i was doing rounds for them and uh you know getting in the cage with kyler and casey you have to be in shape you know otherwise you get hurt you know so and i wanted to keep up with them to give them good rounds give them good work so i started to camp when they did so that was about yeah like six weeks ago so i i got some good uh work this camp and then at the end there two and a half weeks out that's when they told me and i just you know uh started doing more rounds more conditioning and honestly i feel really good i feel this is the best shape i've ever been in so uh i i have no issues with with this short notice fight i, I felt good in taking it well, that's certainly good to hear that you did get a full training camp. Now, I'm curious, too, in your mindset, too, because a lot of times when you go into a training camp, you've got a name circled, it's underlined, your coaches are giving you tidbits about them leading up to the, the preparation. You you basically did a full training camp with no opponent in mind, right? Like you, you said you got six weeks, but you only had two weeks of knowing who it was. Do you feel like you got a better training camp in just, you know, sort of focusing on Mario Batista instead of focusing on the name across from the cage? Oh yeah, I think uh I think I got a good camp, you know. It's every you know, every time I got a spark Kyler or a Casey, you know, I'm always thinking like, man, I, I gotta do this, I gotta switch this up. Um, you know, help me you know, try to give them good work and for me to do good in, in those rounds. So uh yeah, it was good just to focus on myself and not worry about, you know, too much. I think with my last camp against Mal Johns, I think I focused so much on wrestling, wrestling, wrestling and uh i ended up throwing a flying knee so uh it, it was good just to just to work on a on you know just myself so it was, it was pretty nice absolutely now of course I, I always like to ask fighters uh it seems like you're a pretty modest guy but i am going to ask anyway for a prediction on this fight how do you see this fight going down with trevin jones uh come next weekend you know i think trevin jones is really good i think it's going to be uh a, a war you know i he's hard to I don't know if he's ever been finished maybe once, um, but, you know, he has 18 pro fights. And uh, so I, I, I expect a war. I'm preparing for a war. And uh, in the end, I get my hand raised. All right. Well, we're certainly looking forward to it. Once again, fans, this is Mario Batista who fights Trevin Jones at UFC 259. Mario, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate you. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We couldn't do what we do without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Maroon Social, Jock Market, and Better Than Vegas. We want to remind you guys to check us out not only on Better Than Vegas, but also on our Twitter and our Instagram, at Top Turtle MMA. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gumby-Vreeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we will see you then.